there needs to be a coordination between the ramp up of electrolyzer capacities and the start of the operation of the pipelines. I see that coming in the next month. Pretty optimistic that let's say between 26 and, and 28, we will have quite a portion of hydrogen already running through the backbone um, that is now on the paper, at least for northeast and uh, northwest Germany. Hello and welcome to Energy Unplugged by Aurora. This podcast features various experts from Aurora having in-depth conversations with key industry leaders, policymakers and academics from all over the world. It explores the hottest topics across the energy market and gives a unique perspective on major energy issues. This is a special episode featuring Alexander Voigt, co-founder and board member of HH2E. Alex is one of the speakers at the Aurora Hydrogen Conference 2022, taking place on Wednesday the 9th of November in London. We hope to see you there. Welcome to Energy Unplugged. I am Tekla von Bülow, co-head of Advisory Central Europe at Aurora. I have the pleasure to welcome back to the show today, Alex Vogt, founder and CEO of HH2E. Alex was already part of episode 60 of the uh, Energy Unplugged series back in August 2021. Today, we will deep dive into the topic of hydrogen and its potential for sector coupling and decarbonization in Europe. The discussion we're having today is going to be continued with industry leaders at uh, WARA's first hydrogen conference, which will be in London on the 9th of November, 2022. Energy enthusiasts and followers of this podcast will certainly know Alex, or at least one of the companies he has founded. Uh, they include Solon, Unicos, and Luminion. Um, Alex Vogt studied physics and is a really impressive pioneer and serial entrepreneur in solar and battery technologies. In 2021, Alex founded the cleantech company HH2E uh, together with Andreas Schierenbeck, Uniper's former CEO. Since then, the company has received funding from Hydrogen One and Foresight. Alex, it's great to have you back. Uh, welcome back to the show. Great, great to have the opportunity to give you um, an insight of what has happened since 21. Happy to be here. Great. Yes, exactly. So that would exactly be my first question. What has happened um, in the hydrogen economy since 2021? But more importantly, what has happened with HH2E since you really founded the company in 2021 uh, and you have come a long way since then? Um, and maybe it would be good to start off by explaining to our listeners what HH2E is and what your vision is for the company. Um, how is it going to change the energy landscape? Yes, I mean, if we if we are looking on 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 the whole way to decarbonization, I think the easy part of the path to decarbonization we have already behind us. You know, in the EU, with um, percentage between let's say twenty five and 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 fifty percent of renewables in the grid, that was the easiest way of the path. Now, if if we are looking on the next years, what what will happen is that um, we don't we don't have any longer the possibility to go on the on the easy plains. We have to go up in the mountains. We will have some years with pretty steep um, 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 adventures for us, and and this is what is HH2E for. HH2E play comes into play with its technology and its mission um, when it's about to integrate the high production peaks of renewable that are 
a factor of two, three, four, five, ten, 10 maybe over the load that you have in a certain section of the grid. And how to deal with these peaks, this is what it's all about. Really interesting, yes. And we'll talk about more about the technology, actually, because there's a lot to it on how actually electrolyzers uh, can be run uh, effectively and efficiently in the current energy system and um, what policy um, is also uh, playing uh, into, into this whole sector. Um, but kind of as a first step, AJ Shui is focused on uh, on Germany. It's a German company. Um, you certainly have ambitions of, of moving um, also into other company uh, or countries as um, the um, hydrogen economy will will uh, further develop. But let's focus on on Germany first. I would say um, so. Germany has a goal of ten gigawatts until twenty thirty. Um, which um, is is a lot, but if you compare it to the actual net zero path that Germany is on, um, we will need uh, a much more ambitious hydrogen um, economy to uh, to develop. And when you look at the current pipeline of electrolyzers for the moment, um, at least um, the pipeline is double the size of um, the, um, the targets that we will see in 2030. So that is quite promising. Um, on the other hand. Um, it is quite sobering to see that there is, um, for the moment, nearly no substantial capacity operational um, in Germany. So are you confident about the hydrogen development in Germany um, and uh, the projects that are in the pipeline? Um, do you see a big risk of them not, not being implemented? So how confident are you about um, the whole ramp up of the hydrogen economy? You know, I, I hope that uh, a lot of different worlds that I see in the moment um, will find together and, and we will see um, a successful path forward. In the moment, what, what I think is we have on the one side, um, the, let's say the traditional renewable energy business, that's project development in wind and solar. There, the last government had this class ceiling, you know, with this um, 52 gigawatt of, of PV installed, the same also a ceiling for wind. And that is how they dealt with it. They simply said, we don't install more because after that we will see problems. Now the new government took away that ceiling. The new goals only for PV are above 160 gigawatt until 20, 2030. And uh, in the same time they are working on, which is from my point of view, really good, they are trying to speed up the, the permission periods to get all the permissions to build it. But what remains unresolved by that is the connection to the grid. And um, even if you can connect to the grid, is what to do with all these energy in the time when it's produced. To give you an example, we are talking to a small distribution grid operator north of Berlin. They have 600 megawatt of load in their district and have now requests for more than 10 gigawatt of solar to be connected today. It's not, it's not a pipeline, it's requests they have today. So how to deal with this, this situation? And I think we have to bring the solution for this one with the growth plans for hydrogen, we have to bring these pieces together. In the moment, our government looks completely different goals. We have set goals, as, as you mentioned, for um, electrolyzers, 10 or 20 gigawatt, it's the discussion. But I think we have to discuss hydrogen much more as a solution, which will enable the success also on the other side. And that is the ramp up of the renewables in this country. 
So we have to look um, towards a more systematic approach. And I think that the, the usage of electrolyzers um, to, be, to become a stabilizing and enabling part of the energy transition is, is the thing that we are working for. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. I think uh, the, the the main challenge is really the really fast ramp up of renewables that are required. Um, and it's certainly not enough just to have targets on national level, but we are seeing um, there is substantial hurdles on uh, more local levels um, and local permitting procedures um, that take a lot of time and still uh, way too much time, uh, but also other hurdles on the renewable build out that come in, such as supply chain issues and just simply workforce um, that is lacking. Um, so there's a lot of challenges ahead, um, but it uh, looks um, already like a, a brighter future for renewables now, as you're saying, with the cap uh, being lifted. And hydrogen is, is a really interesting component, um, as you're saying, in terms of peak shaving, but at the same time also um, being able to um, utilize uh, surplus renewable energy and convert it into hydrogen in times of, uh, of cheap power. Um, and so this whole aspect of system integration um, is quite an important one. And talking about the technology here, because in effect, um, the, the way you are describing hydrogen electrolyzers um, is basically as a very um, flexible technology that can react to um, the volatile renewable production um, that is within the nature of renewable production. Um, but what I'm currently seeing is that a lot of electrolyzer projects require um, near to baseload um, power supply in order to provide a constant flow of hydrogen um, for, uh, for instance, refineries, etc. Um, and what I'm mostly hearing, um, and I don't have a technology background, so I'm, I'm keen to hear your perspective, is that um, it is not at all suitable for hydrogen electrolyzers to ramp up and down, basically using it such as a kind of a hot uh, water um, a boiler. Um, wh what's your perspective? So what is the, what is the optimal way of, of running an electrolyzer and, and how can it be best integrated in the system given the technology constraints that we're seeing? You know, to, to, to answer that, um, I will quote um, Bill Gates on a conference in Pittsburgh a few weeks ago. Um, Bill Gates was asked by the energy minister um, in the in, in US what, what is among his more than 100 participations in the energy sector in the moment the most promising innovation that he's bringing to the market. And what he said is, I have a small company that brings the functionality of battery and electrolyzer together in order to enable 100% renewable energy supply from wind and solar. And I mean, in, 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 in Pittsburgh, this sentence uh, was, um, was taken by the, by the audience with huge applause. I mean, in Germany, we are doing that since, since years in the development phase and nearly nobody is recognizing it, but it's nevertheless truth. I mean, what we, what we need is a technology that takes on the one side the energy as it comes from wind and, and solar um, that is in peaks and not with a very high number of hours. And on the other side supplies hydrogen as the system requires it. That means it needs to be stable. It needs to come um, 24 hours a day. Um, it needs to come predictable. So all, all the, uh, the, the two things um, have to be met. And I think 
The problem is that the technologies, um, it doesn't matter whether it's PEM or alkaline, that have been developed in the past, normally standing very close to huge hydropower plants or nuclear power plants, are not alone on, on their own, are not alone to be the ideal companion for wind and solar to enable decarbonization. You need the storage part. And what we believe is that this is done much easier on the electrical side of the system for the short-term buffering um, than on the, on the hydrogen side with pumped pressure tanks and stuff like that. I believe that the buffering side on the hydrogen is more on the seasonal side where you use large caverns, where you have pipeline networks. So you can use an overproduction in, in the summer season, you can put into, the, into huge cavern storage systems to, to, um, have to, be, to work as a backup system um, for the cold and cloudy winter days. But the technology that, that I think needs to be developed and the market will require that, and I think also the industry will deliver this, um, is a combination of energy storage and hydrogen production. Yeah, and you're bringing up a, a really interesting debate, which is, should the electrolyzer be positioned in the site of the power production, or is it better positioned in the site of the offtaker? Um, and the main question is obviously what is easier to transport and um, currently uh, the reality is that that power is is much easier transported than hydrogen because hydrogen uh, infrastructure is basically not there so um, the the um, the pilot projects that we're currently seeing in in Germany are all electrolyzer projects that lie um, there where the infrastructure is there and basically where the demand sectors or the demand uh, volumes are also there, um, which is which doesn't correlate to where the renewable sources, which oftentimes if you're looking at solar, would be in the east of Germany, uh, wind in the north of Germany, whereas um, the big demand centers are, are in the west of Germany. Some of them are, are in, in south um, the west of Germany. So um, do, you, do you see this probably as kind of the first phase of the hydrogen ramp up that it's um, this way around? And as, as soon as there's a more liquid hydrogen economy, um, we will see more of the, the, the vision that you have? I, th I think um, the, the answer is not um, the one or the other. I think we, we will see both developments. I think that um, because um, what we are really interested in is a decarbonized hydrogen. Um, so if you have smaller decentralized systems, they will always um, come along also um, with wind and solar installations. And um, so in a, in a way, even if, you are, even if you are in the south of Germany, um, you and you want to to, to secure um, 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 a, fin a financial feasible and also clean energy supply. I think you will come to the point where you also start to develop um, renewable energy, wind and solar projects alongside with your electrolyzer. I I believe simply the um, the, the installation of an electrolyzer. Um, um, and asking the system to, to do all the investments that are needed to bring the electricity to the electrolyzer, I think this is not um, a, a really good approach if it comes to larger scale um, industrial offtake. Um, I think we will, we, we, it, is, it is necessary to have the 
the hydrogen production separated in in a way in two worlds i say the one the one side is what a typical a typical landscape in germany can take as as a size of of wind and solar projects in the south this might be something in the double digit megawatt um, scale for for solar and 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 wind combine that also with a reasonable portion of the energy to be converted in hydrogen maybe also as an, 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 an in the tens of megawatt electrolyzer range but this is not this is only um, producing a smaller part of the um, overall needed hydrogen in our economy i think the the um, installation close to um, big transformer big transformer sites where you have um, also enough land to build really in the gigawatt scale renewables and to build the, the hydrogen um, integration plants, HH2E-Werke, in these regions, and then with access to the hydrogen backbone, so to pipeline systems that is um, bringing the hydrogen number one um, to, to storage systems where there can also be seasonally stored and secure really a 24-7 availability. And on the other side, um, bringing the hydrogen to industrial centers, um, that makes really sense. I mean, transportation of hydrogen in pipelines seems to me um, a thing that, that, that we can work with. I mean, transportation costs are not small, but I think up to 2,000 kilometers, you can work with that. And so we will have two developments, larger scale, larger scale hydrogen production close to the large scale renewable, um, which is more the northern part of Germany, and a, a really decentralized system with a hydrogen production very close to the offtaker, linked also to decentralized systems more in the south. So what I'd be interested in is to, is to hear when, when you expect a sort of liquid hydrogen market to be there, uh, because the main challenge is, um, besides building the electrolyzers as such, is also um, the hydrogen backbone, um, as you as you just mentioned it, which requires obviously a, a massive upfront investment um, for either converting existing natural gas um, pipelines into uh, into hydrogen pipelines um, or actually building new pipelines, so greenfield pipelines. Um, the additional challenge that I'm seeing is that um, the the war in the Ukraine um, and the gas crisis has now led um, to an increased importance, especially of the natural gas pipelines um, in the Western um, or Northwestern Europe, um, which will now be required to transport natural gas uh, much longer than um, would have been anticipated with um, had or would the, the gas um, have continued to flow uh, from east west um so the investment case is a really difficult one for hydrogen pipelines for the moment and in addition there is a, a bit of a chicken and egg i would say um into securing um, the volumes the demand volumes uh, required for a stable business case and with that uh, for stable financing of the pipelines where the demand really struggles to commit um, at this point where it's very uncertain um, how the volumes uh, will get there. So what is your perspective on it? Are you, um, are you also seeing these, these, these large risks and, and projects being on hold on the, on the pipeline side? Um, or are you, are you more optimistic? Um, to, be, to, be, to be honest, I'm more optimistic. And if I look back the last eight months, 
Um, I'm much more optimistic than eight months ago. Um, I mean, the main the main reason for that is that we are now sure that um, the, the gas from Russia will not come back on a on a short term period, and we definitely have to um, orient us in other directions. Um, what what I, what what I see as the most probable thing is that um, you will you will have um, a discussion which side to connect on the on the pipeline system in order to get the right throughput to start also an operation. I mean, these pipelines have an enormous transportation capacity and you, you can only run them in a certain window. So um, there needs to be a coordination between the ramp up of electrolyzer capacities and, and the start of the operation of, of, of the pipelines. I see that coming in the, in the next month. I'm pretty optimistic that let's say between um, 26 and, and 28, we will have quite a portion of hydrogen already running um, through the backbone um, that is now on the paper, at least for Northeast and uh, Northwest Germany. Yeah, and, and linked to that question, actually, because this is quite a German thing, is that Germany in the, in the ramp up of the whole hydrogen economy is really banking on green hydrogen. So for instance, CCUS in Germany is still banned and it's on you know on the on the agenda again uh, of whether um, this needs to be reconsidered. But that certainly in, excludes a, a big role for, for blue hydrogen uh, in Germany, um, where at least um, the uh, carbon captured needs to be um, exported to, to other countries. What is your perspective on the on the color of hydrogen? Do you feel this is the right uh, approach to be very restrictive in the in the in the color of hydrogen? Talking about the volumes again that are required really to to have a stable business case and to invest into these technologies. I think the color discussion is a discussion that I really don't like very much. Every liter of diesel, kilogram of coal, whatever, comes with a CO2 footprint. And so it also is true for each kilogram of hydrogen that you ship. And, and we should simply um, have a focus that the whole change to hydrogen makes only sense if we go big steps forward uh, into decarbonization. If, if you have um, turquoise um, hydrogen and you know what to do with the carbon that's coming out, I wouldn't be too much in thinking of we should only do that or that. Um, but I think we should focus on a systematic approach that secures the energy transition at all. The ramping up of the renewables that we definitely need, and I think this is not questioned, not even by the people who are talking and, and setting their bet on, on blue hydrogen. I don't think that they general want to do everything with gas or also with, um, I mean, the, the, the same thing that you now use for blue hydrogen. You can also, so we do everything that we do with gas now in the future with blue hydrogen. I don't think that the economics on that um, will work out because then you end up um, again in a 100% gas world and, and we have problems with the supply in, in the moment um, only for the portion that we are giving to the gas in, 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 in the situation. So if you want to have the installed capacity of wind and solar, we have to face um, the, the, the problem that if you want to have 100% electricity supply based on fluctuating generation, you will end up with something like between 40 and 50% of excess energy. And this is what is, in a way, the feedstock to produce green hydrogen. So this is a good fit in, in the system. Without having the right fit, 
um, to take off the, the peaks in something that makes sense will end up in nowhere. That's why I think, and my energy is only focused on green hydrogen that is helping to integrate the, the peaks of wind and solar. You know, my background wasn't photovoltaics. I'm, I'm fighting and, and working on technologies to integrate um, solar in a way that you have 24 seven safe and secure energy supply. And if you wanna do that, you cannot simply waste uh, by regulating all the installations down, you will not get the, the problem solved. The green hydrogen is a must have for the decarbonized future. Yeah, I mean, couldn't couldn't agree more. Um, I think on the on the blue hydrogen, there's just a, a countries like the UK, for instance, are taking a very different approach um, on green on on blue hydrogen, with really the the ambition to really ramp up the hydrogen economy. Uh, blending, for instance, is also a topic that in the UK is very accepted. While um, in in Germany, it's seen as a as a waste of hydrogen in a way because we are banking on on the green hydrogen. So the approach is 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 quite different um, and then on on EU level when we look at the quality that is required for green power to produce green hydrogen um, this is putting quite a challenge because we have these three criterions around additionality so bringing in um, new green power into the system uh, for the production of hydrogen as well as a temporal correlation up to a 15 minute correlation between the production of power and the hydrogen production as well as the local correlation, which effectively makes it quite difficult in Germany to, to get power for the electrolyzers because you need to close PPAs um, and then you need to be very selective with the kind of assets that you can, yeah, you can close. Um, so I'm just getting your reaction on these criteria because there is quite a debate going on on EU level where they might be relaxed again, um, especially on, uh, on the aspect of temporal correlation in order to enable um, a project to uh, close PPAs more easily and, and, and actually be able to get these electrolyzers up and running. The problem is um, we need additional and, and huge amounts of additional renewables anyhow to meet the EU goals, right? Mm. So nobody is putting a question mark um, officially on, on the upscaling of the renewable generation anyhow. If you have this generation, you will have certain periods of times, approximately 2000 hours, where we have by far too much electricity production than the, the established market players can take. So this is in a way the time um, where definitely um, electrolyzers are needed to be a good off-taker of this electricity. There are surely 2000 hours on top where it makes sense to have the electrolyzers um, running in parallel, but it makes no sense um, to have a running time of electrolyzers that is um, very flat and um, coming from a time more or less of um, the stable um, flatline power production from, from nuclear and wind, because we will not have these kind of um, um, requirements in, in the future. Everything needs to be flexible and in a, in a, in a way performance driven. So we need the offtake of electrolyzers exactly in the hours when the renewable energy system is producing a surplus. And these are exactly the hours when also the market signals 
will give you a buy signal because the prices will be very low. From my point of view, the most important part in the equation to calculate the cost of hydrogen is the energy that's sitting in one kilogram of hydrogen. So anyhow, we should focus on the cheap hours um, of the market. These are the hours when wind and solar are producing close to peak production. And um, we should leave all the other hours in the system to the um, users of electricity um, that really need the electron itself and not competing um, with our hydrogen production against um, heating our living rooms or heating up the water for the tea. Yeah, and this is where, again, the debate comes in about um, the integration of uh, storage systems, also be it on the exactly. on the power side or, or on the uh, hydrogen um, uh, off-taker side. So there's interesting um, business cases between large electrolyzers and the combination with uh, storages, which uh, frankly needs some kind of natural endowment or natural storage to be in place in order to make uh, economic sense. Um, but the combination of battery and the power system could be could be quite interesting as a as a co-location for instance to um, the electrolyzer business cases yes and if you look on how to secure the energy supply in in a decarbonized world i think uh, we have learned now how important it is to build a a resilient system and and Mm -hmm. not only have an, an eye on the effectiveness and if you look on that i think we should we should really develop an architecture of, of the decarbonized energy system and um, have a conclusion uh, where we want to end up with this transition. I think this is the discussion that I would really like to see in the upcoming months and years, because I mean, everybody's talking about energy transition. The source of energy for most of, of the people using this world is clear. The energy should come from wind and solar without CO2 on its back. Um, but solar and wind are only generators. This is not a full operational energy system. And now we have to discuss really well how to form, how to build the architecture of an, of an energy system. And for sure, this answer, from my point of view, could only be given if, if you have a European-wide um, view on that. Let's go a bit deeper into that, because I, I think this point of resilience has become uh, really a topic on top of the agenda when we talk about, um, uh, you know, energy and the energy system, um, especially all the topic about um, energy supply and, um, in my view, a, a very decentralized and uh, flexible energy system um, that is working and that is um, really integrating uh, lots of different aspects, such as as we said, uh, renewable production batteries um, and the production of of hydrogen um, is going to make the energy landscape uh, much more resilient and much less prone to uh, some sorts of um, attack or or default or or whatever you want to call it. So that is becoming an additional uh, strong point, I say, for the decarbonized vision um, that a lot of uh, people had uh, for, for years but um, weren't able to, you know, ramp up fast enough. Um, so kind of talking about your EU vision, because for instance, there's a lot of discussions around a, a common uh, purchase of natural gas for the EU. How do you see 
the European hydrogen economy in a sort of work out? Do you see the hydrogen economy as a European economy or um, is it something that will be developed on a national level? Um, I'd be keen to, to hear your vision on that part. I think um, if you want to build an, an, an architecture for a decarbonized Europe, I think you should do this in different levels. The being of, of, of renewables um, is decentralized. So a lot of the production and consumption should be combined on a decentralized slash regional level. For sure, it doesn't make sense to build complete autonomous cells. I mean, there have been also research programs in, in the last 10 years. But if you would set in place an architecture where you have on a regional um, slash commune slash energy community, whatever level, and part of the energy system where as much as possible um, is locally produced, locally consumed, then you have the next level, which is more a national level that is working for the smaller level, which is mostly driven by smaller industries and private households. You have a level where you integrate consumption and production on a national level, which is more to supply big industrial centers, large cities like Hamburg, Berlin, large computer plants, and large consumers. That also brings together larger installation, wind parks, offshore um, storage systems, but still might have um, a lack of capacity to provide 365 days of energy. And on top of that, what, what I see is more a level that could be re um, reached if you integrate also the, the, the European markets um, through a um, backbone system that is um, also coupled with, with larger um, capacities of hydrogen storage, where I imagine you could um, have a business system where the overproduction that we will see in all the seasons from March to October, um, if we reach this um, larger installation plans of solar, where you, where you have um, hydrogen um, flowing from the south more to the north, from Greece, from Italy, from Spain, um, and generating also income for the Southern Europe. I mean, we have this problem in, in, in Europe also with the trading balances between the Southern part and the more richer um, Northern parts. And I think it would make a lot of sense to focus on how much hydrogen could we buy in the future um, from the Southern part of, of Europe in, instead of um, simply sending more and more debt on their shoulders. So. Um, I think a European system that in the end is, let's say, the last level that integrates also through the storage functionalities that has a possibility to deliver the hydrogen that is needed to fight also the very cold and dark days where everybody's afraid of, that, that such a three-layered architecture, that would be, from my point of view, something we should think about. Yeah, and um, I think this is also really the, the, the way to go. The aspect that you haven't mentioned yet is really what I would call kind of European hydrogen imports or really uh, locations outside of the EU, such as, for instance, North Africa, which you could combine or, or tie with a pipeline to Italy or make use of the existing uh, pipelines to Italy and Spain. 
a pipeline potentially um, or using the pipeline um, with the Ukraine, for instance, once uh, hopefully that the terrible wars is over, could also be a really big potential for um, rebuilding their economy and um, and providing um, hydrogen to um, big demand centers such as in Germany. So um, I wonder how you're seeing about hydrogen, not just pipelines, but also obviously the, the, the transport via ship um, through hydrogen vectors. Um, because in effect, when you look at how much uh, renewables are currently being built in countries like Germany, um, the expectation is that around two thirds of the hydrogen needs in Germany, for instance, will not be able to be uh, provided domestically, but will have to be imported somewhat either from the EU um, or from other countries. You know, I think our view on that um, will develop as it has already done in the past. When we did the IPO of Solon in 98, we were asked how much PV is possible in Germany. In these days, I mean, the world market was 80 megawatt a year. Um, we, our idea was something 2010, it could maybe be three gigawatts. And um, the, the institutional investors always said, okay, they are nuts and, and decided not to go with us. In the end, I mean, number one, we did our IPO successfully. Number two, we ended up above 10 gigawatts. Mm. And now we are talking about hundreds of gigawatts to be installed in Germany. And I think if, if we are along another five years, we will also talk about more than one terawatt installed only in Germany. We will see that because um, if, if it comes down to facts, the surface, the land is not the problem. If you, if you look to Spain, to Italy, to Greece, whatever, I mean, we have more than enough um, land that is converting into desert and in a speed that, that nobody from us can really completely understand. The discussion will change. And if you also see concerning the production capacities, the Chinese that have in the moment between 100 and 200 gigawatt um, capacity in their industry have announced that they will um, pass the one terawatt production on, on the silicon base, which is, which is the most important bottleneck for, for solar. They want to pass that until 26. That means in, in one year, they will produce enough solar cells to, to power a country like Germany. So I think the bottleneck will not be the supply of, of, of solar modules. It will also not, not be the land. The whole thing will be become cheaper, not more expensive, as we see in the moment. And, and I think um, this, if you model now um, how the future would look like if you, if you take these assumptions into your model, I think we will move towards a green hydrogen economy much quicker than, than everybody from us thinks. And you're absolutely right. I mean, everything that you can transport via, via pipeline, uh, whether it's from the Ukraine, whether it's also from Bulgaria, um, also um, um, Libya, Algeria, Morocco, this all is feasible if mm. we get the right understanding and contractual basis for the long-term investments and the long-term offtake that is needed to finance all these, these projects. I think, I mean, in the, in the European community, we are linked together through the euro. We have to do something to keep this currency stable. And I think the, the more we can do um, to help um, in, in, that, in, in, in that space, um, securing um, energy supply, um, the, the better it is. And just to follow up, so in, in other words, uh, you wouldn't put your money into 
uh, an, an ammonia ship transport of, of hydrogen. Is that fair to say? I would not put my money in ships at all. <laughs> 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 no, but you know, I think green ammonia will will be a really big thing. But I think the market pressure on ammonia will stay very high. And I think it is it is not something where you where you will um, produce um, a, la a huge fortune with. I think, to be honest, um, the, the most um, flexible and most valuable part is is the H2 molecule because um, you can do a lot of, of, of things with it. And, and unfortunately, um, H2 alone will never be shipped. That's my view in the moment. And yeah. uh, I would be happy to be corrected by that. But um, I see no possibility for that. And uh, my heart is also with securing the H2 molecule um, green and as cheap as possible to, to everybody who needs that in the economy to produce value out of it. Yeah, exactly. So but if, if you transport uh, hydrogen, the cheapest, so the pipeline, obviously, uh, there the question is always how far are we creating uh, a new dependence on some countries if we if we build pipelines again, really important aspect in the in the current debates. Um, and if you look at the transport via ship, the transport in, in, in the form of ammonia is, is by far the cheapest. Um, however, there, uh, obviously, you lose a lot in the conversion and, uh, and, and reconversion into, into hydrogen. So the question really is in how far um, this is a viable product in comparison with uh, a domestic production. So I think that generally we're looking for ramping up the hydrogen economy uh, domestically, but we will certainly require some, some substantial parts of hydrogen imports, uh, at least for some of the countries like Germany. So th the task is really um, to be able to ramp up renewable as fast as possible and uh, as much as possible so that we can use the, the green electrons also for the production of hydrogen. It's a really interesting discussion and we could uh, go for hours and I would suggest uh, we continue that discussion at Aurora's Hydrogen Conference in London on the 9th of uh, November. It was really interesting to hear your perspectives and especially uh, your vision for the energy future and uh, the, the vision that you had for the solar was was more than exceeded. So I'm keen to see where your hydrogen vision will be in a couple of years time. Thank you very much for having made the time today and for having been the guest on the, on the show today. Thank you, Tekla. That was Tekla von Bülow, principal at Aurora, talking to Alexander Vogt, co-founder and board member at HH2E. Do keep an eye on our podcast feed for more in-depth conversations with senior members of the energy industry. The best way to do this is to subscribe on whatever platform you use. Thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>